how very good and pleasant it is when kindred live together in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head, running down upon the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down over the collar of his robes. It's like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord ordained his blessing, life forevermore. A reading now from the New Testament. But speaking the truth in love, we may grow up in all things into him, who is the head, Christ himself, from whom the whole body is joined together and connected by every joint and ligament, as every part effectively does its work and grows, building itself up in love. You were taught to put away your former way of life, your old self, corrupt and deluded by its lust, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to clothe yourself with a new self created according to the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So then, putting away falsehood, let us all speak the truth to our neighbors, for we are members of one another. Be angry, but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and do not make room for the devil. Thieves must give up stealing rather than let them lab- rather let them labor and work honestly with their own hands so as to have something to share with the needy. Let no evil talk come out of your mouths, but only what is useful in building up. As there is need, so that your words may give grace to those who hear, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with which you were marked with a seal for the day of redemption. Put away from you all bitterness and wrath and anger and wrangling and slander, together with all malice, and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ has forgiven you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and live in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. The word of the Lord. Won't you join me in prayer now? O God, may the words that proceed from my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable to you this day, our rock and our redeemer. May we be affirmed by the words you have for us and the fact that you have called us children of yours. It's in your name we pray. Amen. The gut-brain connection is a trending topic among health researchers today. 
especially with the rise in diagnosed cases of food allergies and neurological or behavioral disorders. For years, it was understood that the mind affected the gut. Nervousness brought on butterflies in your belly. And if a brain perceived that it was in a dangerous situation, it could trigger the feeling of nausea. However, recent studies published by Harvard Health and Johns Hopkins University have shown that the gut-brain connection is more impressive than what we once thought. The enteric nervous system comprises the one million plus nerve cells that line the gastrointestinal system and is often given the nickname the second brain. What's in a name like this? The director of uh, Johns Hopkins Center for Neurogastroenterology suggests that the digestive system functioning and the work of the enteric nervous system can affect cognition, including memory and thought processing. These findings basically mean that sometimes the gut tells the brain what to do. I was first introduced to this research in my final year of seminary when a GI issue that I had was misdiagnosed for several months as a concussion. It turns out that mental fogginess, dizziness, sluggishness, and headaches can actually be side effects of a bacteria that affected my stomach. The interconnectedness of the parts of the body is greatly taken for granted until something goes awry, and after a while, we're treating five issues rather than one. What happens to our physical bodies is not unlike what happens to our corporate ones, our church, our families, and our group affiliations. The writer of Ephesians proposes that we... We, the church, make up a body with Christ as its head. And then the writer says, As each part is working properly, it promotes the body's growth in building itself up in love. But given the rest of the passage that we read today, it doesn't seem like the body is in its homeostatic state. And now several issues have ailed them. Therefore, the writer sets forth instruction then how to reinstate this homeostasis among individuals and within the group. He says to speak truth, to be kind, and to build up. This past week, as I was preparing for this sermon and looking at these set, this set of instructions, I couldn't help but notice how oddly connected these were to the bodily symptoms of fatigue. It seems almost that the writer of Ephesians has provided a prescription, if you will, for a remedy for emotional fatigue. I read an article that helped me to make this connection. It was on this medical issue of fatigue and burnout. It was in Psychology Today, and it suggested a list of symptoms here that characterizes burnout and fatigue. First, it lists forgetfulness and impaired concentration. The letter to the Ephesians prescribes for its hearers, be renewed in the spirit of the minds. One cannot think straight when the mind begins to lose focus and substitutes worries for visioning. 
Ephesians says, put away all bitterness, wrath, and anger. And psychology today lists increased irritability. Ephesians suggests that thieves would need to give up the shortcut of stealing and just get to work. And psychology today lists, thirdly, a lack of productivity stemming from a lack of motivation. Ephesians says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit, and grieve here meaning do not be distressed by or made uneasy by the Holy Spirit. And psychology today lists resentment and detachment. And finally, Ephesians mentions no evil talk, only build up and give grace. It sounded a lot to me like the symptom of a pessimistic attitude in a fatigued body. This church was not even as old as McLean Baptist Church is at the time that this letter was written. So how could they possibly be fatigued already? Well, the verse occurring right before the one that we read today lets us know that this people of God had been tossed to and fro, it says, and blown about by every wind of doctrine, by people's trickery, their craftiness and deceitful scheming. This group had been exposed to perpetual change in influence and in leadership. And with every change came a change in doctrine. Additionally, there was deceitfulness and scheming, and not to mention the presence of those who were illusionists, chameleons, if you will, and tricksters. And so I can imagine, then, that the people were tired, fatigued, from the emotional tidal wave of dealing with it all. I think we, too, live in a culture of fatigue, though I'm not sure if I can pinpoint exactly the source. Maybe it's the progress-driven mindset of our culture. Maybe it's the helter-skelter of living in the DMV, especially with the commitments and families that we have. Or maybe simply it's just because of us being a people on the go in this day and age. I think the fatigue that we're exposed to is somehow compounded, too, with the fatigue of the church universal. It's taken a lot of emotional energy out of us to contemplate why church trends are going as they are, and even more emotional energy to try to figure out how to reconcile them. Because we are all up to our elbows in this juncture of these situations, we too might find ourselves fatigued. Fatigued at the compounding of emotional investment and weariness at looking for a resolve. So what's a body to do? While I'm not glad to see others inflicted with heartache, it is, however, comforting to know that the Ephesian church understands. And to the healing of their own hearts, the author of the letter suggests in passing an address to their situation. The opening passage that we read today says that a healthy church promotes. It promotes the body's growth and building itself in love, it says. Verse 16 tells us clearly. Promote here is not to win over or to sell. Rather, it's to encourage through affirmation. It is to say to one another, we are connected to you as part of a body like joints and ligaments. And when something goes awry with you, it goes awry with all of us. 
when those symptoms mentioned earlier begin to surface, or even as a prevention before they do, the healthy body promotes and affirms. What might the ministry of affirmation look like on the ground, you may ask? Well, to illustrate, perhaps I'll begin with a question, a little congregation participation. How many of you are part of the 50% of viewers that watch the Super Bowl for the commercials rather than for the game? Thank you for your confessions today, myself included. Then you know that a trend in these commercials in the last years has been to affirm a corporation's customers. Now, whether or not I agree with the statements that they are affirming, I honor the company's willingness to spend $5 million on 30 seconds worth of standing beside their customers rather than the typical ploy of dangling the bait in front of them. I can remember specifically in 2013 the swarming of the social media buzz the days after the Super Bowl with people like me who grew up in agricultural towns in the South. The talk was a reaction to Ram Trucks commercial, So God Made a Farmer. The poem, if you will, that was recited in that commercial affirmed the farmers and the grueling work that they did. While that may not have surged truck sales, because I can assure you that farmers have allegiances to truck brands, it does say to them, we affirm you and what you do. And the production that we have here at Ram Trucks is to support people like you. With all advertising ploys aside, their willingness to notice, to appreciate, to give recognition to someone else's efforts is an attempt at affirmation. The ministry of affirmation may be more familiar to us locally here within our denominational and regional affiliations. Today, as Meg mentioned, is Baptist World Alliance Sunday. And this week, the BWA wrote in a memo that it intends today's celebration to be, quote, aimed at affirming Baptist identity within the worldwide Christian family, end quote. Based on my involvement with the BWA, affirmation is one of their strongest ministries. For example, just this month, the BWA exercised affirmation to the Baptist churches in Bolivia because in Bolivia, a new law was issued in the country that states, whoever recruits, transports, deprives of freedom, or hosts people with the aim of recruiting them to take place in religious organizations will be penalized 7 to 12 years of imprisonment. While the main intent of this law was to keep the religious cults from trafficking, it is a law that would seem to put outreach and evangelism out of the question. So in response to this law, the Baptist World Alliance sent a letter to the Bolivian government that said, This new code could lead to unintended restrictions on religious freedom and to the direct persecution of churches and individuals of faith. It may not change anything in the situation, but it does say to the member bodies in Bolivia 
we affirm you in the ministry that you are doing. And as an update that I received from a, a clergy coffee this week, that law was reworded. Bodies work well together when they promote, build up, and affirm. It seems to me that the author nearly forgets his own suggestion when he writes a loudly punctuated reprimand in verse 20. This is not the way that you learned Christ, he says. But then it seems that he recalls his strategy and affirms them at the beginning of chapter 5 in saying, Be imitators of God as beloved children and live in love as Christ loved and gave himself up for us. It's a reminder that we have been and are being affirmed through the God who stands among us and beside us. It's a reminder that Christ hung on a cross to affirm us. That's the sacrifice. Christ stands beside us in the very ministry that we, that you, are doing. It's the ministry that we have with our families, with our vocation, with our groups and networks. Christ's death by the Roman government for what he believed in is the affirmation for us living out the things that we and he stand for. It even goes more basic than that because, as I mentioned earlier, chapter 5 says that we, we are children of God, an affirmation of our identity as human beings. Christ stands alongside us even in that mere claim. The idea of Christ standing with us and affirming us became real to me recently when I watched a movie directed by Mark Dornford May. It's called The Son of Man. It puts the Jesus story into the context of modern-day Africa, and it gives off the aura of the Rwandan genocide. In the movie, the baby Jesus escapes the child genocide much like he did in King Herod's day. When the child had grown up and had gathered a group of disciples, they came across a crowd of women who were protesting the genocide. To do so, they had taken their babies and they had laid them on a street corner and had questioned the city, won't you let them live? One of the babies was old enough to stand up and totter, and he moved toward his mother with a whimper. And in mid-step, he was intercepted by the Jesus figure in the movie, who picked him up, carried him back to the cluster of babies by the road, and sat down with him. The other disciples saw Jesus' gesture and began to sit, to rock, and to lay with those babies, almost as if it were nap time. Dornford May, the director, desired to pose Jesus as one who said, we affirm you, little children, and we sit with you in support of you during this time of your life. Christ notices us, appreciates us, and recognizes us as we live as servants in the kingdom of God. Christ stands with, rocks, and even lies with us in affirmation of the person that we are. While many of our examples and illustrations today have dealt with large corporations, governments, or even major movements, 
The message that the writer has for the church at Ephesus is to be promoters and affirmers of one another personally. While any two of us may not agree with another's theology, approach to ministry, or even how they conduct themselves, we can affirm the work of the God Almighty through the Holy Spirit that is being done through them and among them. Maybe today, maybe it's you, you yourself and me, that seeks affirmation of the Christ of the cross. And if so, hear today that the holy God calls you child, and the body of Christ is here to love you. Who are those in your life that stand with you and beside you? Who are those that would smile at your efforts? Would it be C.S. Lewis for your desires to bring theology to your children? Would it be the late Baptist minister Martin Luther King for standing up for yourself? Would it be the reformer Martin Luther for thinking outside the box in your faith? Would it be Jesus Christ in your attempts to love others? Sure, there will be those that stand against you, but I imagine that we would be more starstruck at the ones that affirmed us anyways. I began today by saying that the gut-brain connection has an extraordinary relationship. Even if there are those days that we feel we are merely the guts of the body, it too has a profound influence on the head. And sometimes it's even given the honorable title of the second brain. You and I have been honored with the status of children of God Be affirmed in who you are and what you are doing in honest love. Hear from me and from the church. Well done. Amen.